The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. The cross-examination. Countries like France, for example, have an 11 vaccine policy, and if you're not vaccinated, you don't get into school. You're likely to see businesses very openly saying, we are determined to keep our customers, suppliers, etc., safe, and therefore, this is our stance on the vaccine. Hello, I'm Becky Anderson, and welcome to this episode of The Hearing, The Cross-Examination. The UK vaccination programme for COVID-19 is well underway, and it is a real testament to the brilliance of the NHS, how fast and effective the process is. Vaccination opens up the prospect of a return to life before the pandemic, but it also opens up a slew of complicated legal and ethical issues for employers, employees and their legal advisors. There will be a balancing act between the rights of individuals to refuse a vaccine versus the duty of employers to provide a safe place for people to come to work. And the old adage, the right to swing your fist stops at my face, has never seemed quite so unclear. The Cross-Examination I'm joined here today to talk about all things vaccines, and I have got two fantastically interesting guests. Firstly, Debbie Ramsey. She's worked in a raft of multinational corporations all the way from BA to BT, but is currently director of the Good Corporation, who specialise in business ethics. I'm also going to be speaking with Joe Nichols. He's employment lawyer extraordinaire and partner at Wards, and I'm very interested to hear in particular intersection between ethics and employment law on the thorny issue of vaccines. So I was going to kick off with my first question and preface it by saying obviously the news about vaccines is fantastic. At the moment the NHS seems to be rolling out an incredibly ambitious vaccination programme at a breathtakingly amazing pace and that's giving people rightly a lot of hope at the moment. But how is that going to translate for companies and employees. Companies might well see this as a golden ticket to get staff back to a normal working environment very, very quickly. But we also need to talk about what rights employees have if employers start requiring them to disclose a vaccination status or even ask them to get vaccinated. And I really wanted to kick off this discussion with pointing that question at you, Debbie, and starting with the ethical dimension. What are the ethical dimensions of this complicated intersection between employees' rights or employees' moral and ethical rights and companies' wants and needs? I, I think I would, um, I would just kick off by um, picking up what you said about a normal working environment. And I'm not sure what that's going to be because I think the genie is out of the bottle in terms of employees and companies, for that matter, having different working patterns now and sometimes enjoying those working patterns. And whether we will see people going back to work nine to five, uh, five days a week, I don't know. It'd be interesting. And, and that will obviously colour how um, the vaccine and, and, and the protection of employees uh, will work. But I think most importantly, though, I would always look at um, these ethical issues through the lens of um, the right for employees to feel safe at work. So while individual employees have rights, um, and I'm sure um, my colleague Joe is, is, is probably a better place than I am to talk about those, um, 
the right of the of employees at work to feel safe, particularly once social and distancing um, PPE rules are relaxed, to feel that when they go into the office, they're not going to be at risk from a number of people who are unvaccinated and potentially bring the virus back into the office um, could, could, could be an issue. Employees obviously have the right to choose whether they have a vaccine or not, that, that goes without saying, um, but whether they have the right to refuse to declare it uh, or not is, 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 um, is a different issue. Um, certainly, um, some employees will have medical conditions or religious reasons preventing them from having the vaccine. And there are, they do have a right not to disclose, I understand, to disclose their medical status. And we know that the Information Commissioner's Office, um, early on in the pandemic, the ICO said that uh, employees have the right to ask about symptoms. Uh, presumably, they'll say they have the right to ask about whether you've been vaccinated or not. And the employee does have the right to, to say no. But what does that mean um, when an employee is trying to provide a safe environment when employees start coming back to work? It's the big issue. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the one that, that we're going to, to struggle with most. It seems like a good time to bring Joe in. What, this, this is a legal and ethical minefield for the companies, I would imagine. Can you tell us a bit more about how, how this is a legal minefield? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think Debbie's absolutely right in that you know, the starting point has to be that for an individual, they have the right to choose. And at least as far as we know, the government has no plans to mandate a vaccine. And with that, an individual therefore has the right to either decide whether they wish to uh, take the offer of a vaccine or not. So that's the starting point. How that translates into the workplace is that, again, that remains the predominant position and the employer then will have to consider reasonably whether they think that that's an appropriate decision in the wider context of their duty to their the rest of their employees um, and suppliers and customers and so on. And I think largely that depends upon the industry sector and the uh, environment in which that employer operates. So you're going to have different arguments for um, an employer, for example, working in care, uh, in a care home would be a good example of that. The issue around safety and keeping um, the service users and other uh, colleagues safe is very different there than it would be in, for example, a, an office type environment. Um, and then there's a sliding scale between those two. So although there's no legal requirement, certainly yet, and it's unlikely that there will be in this country to take a vaccine, certain employers may decide that it is appropriate to ensure that all of their staff are vaccinated. And if they are not, or they refuse to do so, then the employer may decide that um, they can no longer continue to employ that person. And there are potentially legal uh, and legitimate ways of, of doing that. How, how would that um, manifest? I think that's quite interesting. Um, I know that we've all previously had to this, had a discussion about the Pimlico Plumbers matter, where the CEO of Pimlico Plumbers has come out and said that he requires everybody who works for him to be vaccinated. Um, and that is mandatory as a company policy. Um, 
how how does that kind of I suppose that real life case stack up? It, can he do that? What what sort of legislation um, maybe on the employer's side or on his side conversely? Yes, so in theory he can, and taking you back to um, so the relationship between employers and employees, broadly they have the right to agree the terms upon which they work and enter into a contract. However, of course, that isn't an unfettered position and um, there are limitations both legally and uh, through um, the decision of, of, of either person. So it may be that there is a decision taken by an employer to uh, ensure that anyone they are recruiting signs to confirm that they will provide proof that they've been vaccinated before starting work or those that are uh, in existing employment agree to vary their terms by consent to um, to agree to provide proof that they've been vaccinated. Where it becomes tricky is when you look at specific individual circumstances and there are many which could give rise to um, problems with that approach uh, and they there are a whole host of reasons why people may decide not to take the vaccine may be advised against it from a, uh, a medical professional may be unable or, or unwilling simply because they choose not to um, and so you need to look at all of those individual circumstances, I think, in isolation. So whereas a blanket policy in theory is uh, OK, it's not without risk. So it's likely to give rise to claims of indirect discrimination, for example, for someone who is uh, possibly disabled and for, for various reasons unable to take a vaccine. Uh, someone who is pregnant and has been advised against taking a vaccine. So these sorts of issues... Um, when you look at, when you break it down and look at it on a micro level with particular individuals, are likely to ensure that that sort of blanket approach um, needs to have tolerances, it needs to be flexible, and it can't just be uh, one size fits all. I'd like to move back actually to a point that Debbie made earlier, um, which is what does the vaccine mean? for the employer's duty to take care of the health and welfare of their staff. Now, I know that there are some legal requirements around that, Joe, which I'd like to ask you to articulate in a moment. Um, but then I think that there's a broader, a broader topic about the ethical duty that employers have to take care of the welfare of their staff and what that might mean practically in the workplace. So, Joe, Joe, can you just remind me, because it's a very long time since I had to look at an employer's duty to take care, but there, there is an employer's duty to take care of the welfare of their staff. And, and how does that, if you could just lay that out, that would be really useful. Of course, I, more than one, really. So, you know, you've got, you've got a series of competing interests, but uh, overriding interest for the employer is to provide a safe and suitable working environment for its employees. Um, and that's safe from uh, the risk of harm that they can reasonably prevent, um, both in terms of, uh, you know, from a health and safety perspective, but also in terms of how they protect employees from uh, treatment from others and from themselves. So, um, yes, the overriding duty is to provide a safe and suitable working environment. And that then, of course, uh, may compete with... Uh, the rights of individuals. So when we're looking at who has been uh, vaccinated, you're comparing the 
requirements to keep colleagues safe uh, from the employment perspective, and then the right of the individual and their wishes uh, and their freedoms not to, in this case, take a vaccine. So it's not it's not as straightforward as as a, a simple approach that an employer must take to protect people, and that the only mechanism for protection is by ensuring that everyone is vaccinated. I wonder if that means, and, and Debbie, I think that this would be something I'd value your opinion on. Is is this really a battle of hearts and minds? You know, we have an ethical position and a legal position, uh, and it seems to be there's quite a lot of um, a, a lack of clarity of the precedence of each. Um, the government is not mandating vaccines, but it is instead working to persuade people. What can employers be doing to make sure that they're providing this safe environment by getting as many people as vaccinated as possible, whilst at the same time preserving the rights of people who are unable or unwilling? I think the most important thing that a a company can do is communicate. Um, And I think that is the job of companies to um, put the right information in front of their employees. And you're right that um, Nadim Zawi, who is the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for COVID, um, was saying that the most important thing is the power of persuasion. If we're not going to force people to have the vaccine, we need to persuade them to. So companies can do a lot to put um, in front of employees the right information, um, trusted information, um, and clear, accurate information. Now, that could be through the website or their intranets. It could be through um, uh, team meetings and providing managers with the briefing notes. Um, it could be through bringing medical professionals in to do a Q&A session to reassure people. Um, but we know that there has been an amount of disinformation going around. Um, uh, a number of people have talked about that, and there's a survey um, showing that um, whilst 82% of the UK population say they would be likely to have the vaccine, something like 72% of the black community would be unlikely to. And that's horrifying. That's really worrying. And it's it's worrying levels across the BME um, communities. And we should worry about that. And one thing an employee can do is to try and put out the right information, correct information, accurate information to employees. Um, the other thing, of course, that they should be doing, and, and Joe touched on this, is looking for ways of accommodating uh, employees that haven't been vaccinated. So you would hope that they would be able to provide um, perhaps office-based jobs where social distancing is possible, uh, where masks are still used until it's very clear that the virus um, is, is, uh, is no longer a threat. Um, and uh, making sure that, that the PPE is, is available to, to employees uh, to protect them. Um, but then there are going to be situations where this is really difficult. I was thinking the other day about the local restaurant in the high street where they've either got a very busy kitchen or with probably very um, virus-friendly uh, <laughs> um, uh, environment or they're out in the front serving customers and you have a duty to protect your customers just so you do to protect your employees. And in that situation, it's going to be quite difficult to think of where you might um, find roles for people who are not vaccinated. And there are two things. I mean, one of going back to the Charlie Mullins um, 
Pimica Plummer's case, where he is arguing that he is not doing this to discriminate, he's doing it for the, the greater good of his employees and his customers. And it's a very, very knotty issue, and, and the debate will go on for a long time on this, I'm sure, and keep employment lawyers well, well employed. But um, I, I, it, it is an interesting, um, it is this whole point of, of, of looking for the um, safety and welfare of all employees, not just the individuals. And that's going to be an issue that's going to run and run, I think. And I think we probably also need to acknowledge the sort of real politic of the situation in that there are all sorts of laws which should apply and which end up not applying to people. So I remember, um, I remember when the EU working time directive first came in as a lawyer and immediately being requested to sign an opt-out and that was not an optional, you know, that, that was not really a, if you would like to opt out, Becky, here is your opt out form. It was a, if you would like to continue with a career as a lawyer, you will opt out of the working time directive. Um, and I think that there probably needs to be a, an acknowledgement, at least in, you know, both from an ethical and a purely legal side, that where people may have a legal right to not have a vaccine, all sorts of pressures, and um, particularly, I think, pressures um, on people who are working in more minimum wage um, jobs um, who don't necessarily have the option to just go and find the job somewhere else or even, even bring an employment tribunal mm. case. There is always that kind of the reality of the world of people don't have the same access to the laws. Um, have, you, have either of you kind of thought about how that may work or some of the things that may be on the horizon because of the, the reality of these situations. I think you both make really valid points. And, and what this comes back to is thinking about the reason that the employer is asking their employees to be vaccinated. And of course, we aren't scientists, but much of this will turn upon the issue of whether the vaccinated person is able to continue to spread the virus to others. And so I don't know if we know enough yet to be certain about that. I think there's some evidence to suggest that potentially they would still do so. So if the employer's motivation for wanting all of their staff to be vaccinated is simply to protect others and their customers, is that the right mechanism for doing so? Or, or should they continue to ensure social distancing and the use of masks and hand washing and other and other other options. Remember, this isn't asking someone to be vaccinated is not the same as asking someone to wear a mask to work, and that's really important. And it, it although there is a duty of care to protect the, an employer's staff, um, that is within the confines of reasonableness. And and um, what you're asking someone to do is that reasonable? And is the protection you're giving in the circumstances reasonable? And we don't know. It'd be interesting to understand the science behind whether social distancing and a mask is more effective in controlling spread to others and transmission than, than the vaccine would be. Um, I guess in the longer term and on a macro scale for the population, the vaccine will be more effective. But we're talking about um, how we lift restrictions an employer wants to get back to being operational uh, and to do so safely. And so their reason and their motivation is, is, is really key. 
And the important thing is that vaccines are not, um, well, are like any other sensitive medical procedure and, and you'd need to think caref- carefully and think about whether it is proportionate to require someone to do that. In some cases where some of the effects are unknown and there may be val- very valid reasons for not wanting to take or not being able to take a vaccine. And that all needs to be weighed up. So it's, it's uh, yes, there is an overriding duty, but that includes a duty to protect the people who you're asking to be vaccinated. Now you've got to think about side effects, adverse health impact. Um, there's much talk about pregnancy and, and, the, and the unknown quantity there. Um, and so you could be faced with a position as an employer where you've mandated vaccination and someone has become very ill as a result. Uh, and that could trigger liabilities for you, possibly a personal injury claim, something of that nature, um, or other employment-related claims. So it's it's not a, an issue to take lightly. It's something to think very carefully about. And it all, it, it all stems from the reason and the motivation for wanting all of your staff to be vaccinated in the first place. I think there is an interesting analogy that has been going on for many many years although it's not about mandating but many companies and and I know because I have worked in companies that have had this policy and I've availed myself of it many companies offer uh, free flu jabs to staff have a flu um, a flu vaccination program which is completely opt-in but which is rolled out and I've always presumed and people can tell me if I'm wrong I've always presumed it was on the basis that it was cheaper to pay to vaccinate a bunch of your staff than it was to lose several weeks of time through people being sick with the flu because as we all know proper flu the flu that you get vaccinated for is sort of two weeks in bed feeling like um feeling absolutely awful um one of the things that immediately struck me when the talk of vaccines came out was at the same time that the eu and the us and the uk governments are rushing to pfizer and moderna and astrazeneca to buy up supplies for their countries, I immediately thought, how many multinational companies have just phoned up Pfizer and said, how many vaccine doses can I get as a a company? Um, Do you think, Debbie, that large companies will be looking to secure private supplies for employees? And and if they are, what are the ethical implications of that? I think um, that will depend on the country you're in. Um, I was just chatting to our French office yesterday and, and they, um, the French companies are gearing themselves up to give the vaccine. Um, uh, it's very different from the UK, which is where it's all done through um, the National Health Service. And uh, we, we would not as, as expect, be expecting employees to say, right, here we are, we want all the vaccines we can get and we'll be um, vaccinating our employees to ensure we get ahead of the game. Um, so it does depend on, on, on your market, and multinationals will be looking at that across the markets that they're in. Um, should a company be acquiring vaccines in the UK um, and, and stockpiling them to vaccinate their own staff? I think people would look um, ethically very askance at that um, until the most vulnerable people have been vaccinated and it's been rolled out as far as possible. I think companies should be very careful about trying to acquire vaccines for themselves and for their own employees who may be traveling overseas or wanting to travel overseas 
can't at the moment, obviously. But um, so in, in that case, I think um, there could well be um, a public backlash uh, and a real ethical scandal there if, if companies are found to be doing that. I mean, I think we already have an ethical scandal that richer countries have bought up vaccine at a rate where the WHO is now saying that other countries with less available capital are not going to be able to vaccinate their vulnerable citizens until I think 2023-2024. I certainly see that there is a real likelihood of that being exacerbated if multinational corporations start running to Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and, and many of the other vaccines to secure private supplies. What are your views, Joe? Yeah, a really important issue, I think. Um, look, this is a pandemic that has left pretty much no one unaffected. And I think we, we have a collective duty to make sure that access to, um, to vaccines is, is considered equitably. And, and that includes distribution. So, so on a on a decision maker level at government policy, and and including in large uh, multinationals, they all have their part to play in, in making sure that um, those who struggle most with access and therefore potentially who need and would benefit most from a vaccine get it. And a part, at least part of the consideration and the thought process. And you're right. And it's it's. Um, it's difficult to uh, to see it when we're in a, a struggle and everyone is struggling in their own way and everyone wants uh, this to be over and for restrictions to be lifted and to go about their lives um, with the freedoms that everyone enjoyed before. But that itself uh, is relative to your own circumstances and and your own country. And so there is absolutely an obligation on... Um, on those that can influence to do so mm. and, and that includes employers large employers who are able to have access you know should they be considering how they use that access and that privilege and how can they set aside the right appropriate resources to make sure that they're doing what they should be doing for communities that are struggling more and that includes everything from education for those that have access but choose not to to those that don't have access and and how can ensuring access so you know this is a this is a global pandemic it's it's a pandemic by its nature it affects everyone globally and therefore um you know we're all part of uh the struggle here and we're all um aligned in wanting this to be uh in the past moving on from it and uh and so we all have our part to play. One of the questions I always like to put on this podcast, and I suppose I do it because I want to normalise the practice of it, um, is how lawyers can challenge their clients in the privacy of a consultation about whether their actions are ethical. And I'm particularly interested because this is such a thorny ethical issue. What are the what are the questions, Debbie, I think, that you would like to hear lawyers challenging their corporate clients on in private on the ethicality of, of the vaccine, either whether mandating it to staff, not mandating it to staff, buying up private supplies? Well, I think we would always, um, certainly good corporation, a lot of lawyers, um, but we would always challenge 
our clients um, if we felt that something was unethical. And we would expect other professionals to do the same, um, regardless of the law. If something uh, that a company was doing we felt was unethical, we would we would raise it, and we we certainly have raised in this this pandemic the whole issues. Um, around furlough schemes and the misuse of furlough schemes. So asking people to work when they're on furlough, for example, or the loans. I mean, there's been a huge amount, multi, 1.8 billion or something of, of loans that are deemed to be fraudulent uh, linked, to, linked to this. Um, so it is, it is responsibility of all professionals, um, I think, whether ethical um, uh, specialists or not, to challenge companies, employers, um, to think about what they're doing, to think about what the right thing to do is, as well as what they can do legally. Joe, are there kind of a sort of a set of ethical challenges that you think that you might be giving clients in, in the privacy of the lawyers consultation room? And what, what sort of questions do you think you'd be asking? As a lawyer, it is important to always uh, advise and ask questions about and around a particular decision or a proposal to implement a decision. So, uh, you know, as a lawyer, we are routinely challenging our clients and advising them of risk. That is the nature of what we do. Um, and that includes the consequences of their decision, whatever that might be. And that usually doesn't, isn't limited to the law. It, it includes the practical considerations, the reputational considerations, um, the impact on staff morale for particular decisions, particularly when you're looking at changing um, significant issues in contracts, for example. And uh, so it's, not, it's, it's never restricted to just what the law says and um, whether someone can do something or not. It is part of what we do to, to talk to our clients and make them help them to see what the impact of their decision will be. And of course, you know, advising and the decision are not necessarily the same thing. We, we would always advise of peripheral issues and potential discriminatory issues and, uh, and potential um, consequences that uh, the employer may decide that they're happy to um, to take as a risk. But uh, yes, we look, and that's in the backdrop of being governed by our, the principles under which we are um, regulated by our industry regulator, by our duties to the relevant courts and tribunals. So we have broader obligations than just what our clients should or shouldn't do or what they're asking us to do. And I think it's really important that we do continue to challenge them on, on, on decisions, but that usually that isn't telling them not to do something that is generally saying these are the implications of what you propose to do and this is why potentially it's the wrong decision and and we help them to to make those decisions and i think it's uh i think you'll find that the majority of the vast majority of employers want to do the right thing because doing the right thing for their staff particularly in these circumstances uh means that they are able to um, benefit themselves as, as a business and when it comes to making sure that people are well and healthy and are able to work free from the restrictions that we've seen over the last nine to 12 months we you know they're aligned generally in that they want their their, their staff to be um 
to be able to work, to be willing to work, to be safe. And I think you've seen an awful lot of employers um, committed an awful lot of time, money and uh, energy into helping their staff to make sure that their workplace is safe. And um, we, of course, focus on the, the headlines of where that doesn't necessarily happen or sometimes it goes wrong. But uh, I think particularly for small employers, there has been a real commitment this year um, to helping their staff maintain uh, the ability to work. And that can only be achieved through helping them to do that safely and securely. I think I want to go back to something you said earlier, because as you were talking then, and, and I was thinking about the ethical implications of them, and the different permutations and the different ways that this might spin out, something that came up is, aside from the idea that you may or may not want to mandate your staff to have a vaccine. Um, when I was in practice, I remember that often during supply chain negotiations, particularly in services, particularly in people services, you might say that you would only want staff who um, had certain characteristics working on a particular contract. That was quite common, I remember. It's incredibly common um, in, say, securities industry, um, where you may be asked to vouch for staff in certain ways and you might have to prove that staff working on particular contracts don't have bankruptcy um, outstanding or similar things like that. But it often in contracts for people services went well beyond securities where you would find contracts, particularly international contracts, mandating that staff who worked on X project or deal or deliver x thing actually had a specified characteristic which went well beyond qualifications for the job and started to veer into much more personal qualifications um, or personal attributes um, is what what are the implications of a contract aware saying um, we company x will only employ you pimlico plumbers if you guarantee that every member of staff who comes in to work on our buildings has a vaccine because that's a that's a separate issue but it intersects with the employers right employees rights in a really thorny and unpleasant way when you're the service company caught in the middle of that do you think that we're likely to see debbie that sort of thing being mandated that's a very interesting um thought and um, we know that supply chains are under scrutiny at the moment in terms of what they um, are being asked to do and um, protecting supply chains but making sure that they are I mean the whole issue around modern slavery and whatever else is, 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 is very foremost at the moment in people's thinking so whether you can demand that um, a company supplying you um, has made sure that everyone has had the vaccine, I think is probably an interesting one, but probably ethically not the right thing to do, but that company should be taking the right measures to ensure that they are not putting you at risk at all. So ensuring that anybody, um, so with Pimlico plumbers, you would think that maybe uh, they can ask, just as you would in perhaps social care, that someone should be vaccinated if they're going to go into a home and work um, closely alongside um, um, other people who could be at risk. I don't think that you would, you, you, they must have office jobs where they could put people who are, um, who are not vaccinated for possibly the very best reasons. 
um, and making sure that they have the correct sort of social distancing and masks and whatever else. Um, it'll be interesting, though, as time goes on and more and more people are vaccinated, as to whether um, we insist that long time after um, we think we've got it under control um, and that we have herd immunity, people will still be being asked if they haven't had a vaccine um, to wear um, masks or whatever else. And that always assumes that we can ask that question. Um, because, and, and I think ethically, this is the right thing to do to be able to ask that question so that employers can put the right measures in place. I think I mean, it's certainly on the question of masks. I mean, I've seen more debate in the US than the UK on the rights of asking someone to wear a mask, which I've always found, to be honest, quite strange. We require people wear to, to wear clothes in restaurants. It doesn't seem to be much of a stretch to require them to wear a mask in a restaurant or similar. Um, Joe, this kind of this idea of employers' rights on the one hand, human rights on the one hand, but the contractual ability of companies to say, no, if you're going to come into my office to fix a light bulb, you have to send an engineer who's been vaccinated. Um, what is the route through that? I think it's likely to happen in the in the short medium term. I think you're likely to see more people. Um, and more businesses very openly saying, you know, we, we are, from a reputational perspective, possibly a marketing perspective, saying that we are determined to keep our customers, suppliers, etc., safe. And therefore, this is our stance on the vaccine. And, you know, right, that, that may be the right decision that may be motivated for the right reasons. Um, you'd I'm slightly wary, of course, that it turns into a bit of a political issue and and you have a um, a very divisive or the next divisive issue that we have could be vaccines it's likely to be I think we've had masks of course prior to that brexit and it, and it feels very much that um, you have to be in one camp or the other so uh, so just to take the question yes you might see that uh, enforced by particular companies. There are risks with that, uh, in theory, um, uh, but in terms of a procurement stance, it might be a decision that they choose. Where that translates into the relevance of employee rights and the employer, if, if an employer is agreeing to those terms in a contract, it is the position doesn't change for them. They're still uh, asking their staff to be vaccinated before assigning them to that particular contract so they will still need to ask themselves the same questions they'll still need to understand what is their motivation and reason behind it they may well have greater support because they have that contract to say what they see as a proportionate and justified reason to ensure that people are vaccinated but the same issues still apply the same risks still apply so they need to ask themselves why they why they are agreeing to those terms in the first place and if they are agreeing and feel that it is the right thing to do, then considering uh, blanket policies with tolerances around uh, individual circumstances, communicating their thought process clearly with their staff, making sure that their staff understand why they are uh, mandating a vaccine for uh, to be continue to be employed by them or, or to just work on a particular contract, and then maybe communicating the benefits of, of 
vaccination to staff, I think it's all one an indirect way of saying the same thing, which is what is the employer's reason for wanting their staff to be vaccinated? In, in your example, it's uh, is it predominantly to secure that contract or is it predominantly to keep people safe? And, um, and I think at least the... Uh, the premise of the concept of wanting people to be vaccinated is to make sure that um, is to make sure that people are safe and not spreading the disease and making sure that as a population we are uh, we are driving the disease down to the to the extent that it no longer continues to affect people's health in the same way or at the same scale. So um, yes, it's it's likely to happen. It's it's a tricky balancing act between what is justified and what is proportionate. And, and then implementing that, of course, um, is a further step, particularly if you've got lots of people who are affected by that. Debbie, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Um, well, I, it, just when Joe was talking, I was thinking about the fact that we don't ask um, people to declare whether they've had a measles jab. But we do know that, um, and I think the WHO World Health Organization says that 95% uh, need to be vaccinated and once it falls below that, you start getting outbreaks of the disease, which is a really horrible disease and very easily transmissible. Um, and you wonder whether something similar to that is, 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 um, is going to happen with, um, with COVID vaccinations, because you're going to get to a stage where I think they reckon it's something like over 80% where you get herd immunity. Um, but once that starts dropping, once you get... Um, higher numbers, not picking up the vaccination. And we don't know whether it's, um, how long it lasts. Um, as Joe was saying earlier, we don't know yet uh, whether it's transmissible or not. Um, there was a very good article on the um, Today programme with uh, Professor Julian um, Savalescu, I think he's called. Um, but he was saying it's like holding a, um, a gun um, when you know you, you don't know when it's going to go off. You don't know if you're going to transmit it or not. Transmit it or not. And the most important thing he was saying is that we need to get those studies in place, which will tell you whether or not um, you can transmit the disease once you've been vaccinated. That aside, um, it's interesting that countries like France, for example, um, have an 11 vaccine policy, and if you're not vaccinated you don't get into school so you don't go into nursery and you don't get into a school if you haven't had the 11 vaccines australia for example have a, a similar policy um, where parents um, will not get the universal family allowance if they don't vaccinate their children so that is very much a stick approach as opposed to a carrot approach encouraging people by um, telling people persuading people why it's important. Um, and I think this vaccine hesitancy is a really interesting one because um, who, again, I was reading uh, an article where by they're saying that um, vaccine hesitancy um, is one of the 10 greatest threats to global health at the moment. Um, so it is, um, it's back to communicating, telling people the right, the right information um, and trying to reassure people uh, of its safety. What I'm, what I'm hearing and what I love about this conversation is this, this seems to be a common thread between all the conversations I have on these big ticket issues for the cross-examination. Um, whenever we've talked about um, Brexit or COVID or black swan events, 
the one thing, the one constant thing is we need to have better communication, better information. We need to be um, have a better ability to discern truth from lies. Um, it is on everybody to communicate well and properly at every stage and that if we can achieve this kind of open trust and flow of information it it unlocks so many problems it really does seem to be the kind of the foundational key to all of these things um i did want to move on just just quickly at the end um i recently read the bbc article about a company called the hacking trust who had been offering i think five thousand pounds per vaccine shot if there were any left over at a number of GPs that they had targeted and um, the, the company put out a statement about this um, but when I saw it I think that my first thought was surprise that it was the first and that we had not seen more of this coming out already and which is which is allied a little bit to the idea of companies um, going straight to Pfizer and buying up vaccine in the same way that the UK government and the US government and others have done. Um, alongside that, we've also seen a lot of warnings and that we've already seen lots of scams coming out with people being sent text messages um, saying, come in for your vaccine, it's only going to cost you X as a down payment, which is of course, and we should say very clearly, absolutely not what's happening under the NHS. The NHS is free at the point of use and that's exactly the same for the COVID vaccine. These are scam texts. Um, do you think, given how much the vaccine represents a bit of a holy grail for the whole world in getting back to some semblance of normality, that we're going to see a rise in corruption and issues like that related to the vaccine? And where do you think it's going to be coming from predominantly? I think whenever you've got a valuable commodity that's in scarce supply, you're going to get corruption. Um, and we've already talked a little bit about the sort of the grey market where companies can get hold of um, vaccines. Um, the pharma industry is, is quite common for um, supplies to leak out of the public channels, um, whether or not, you know, it's the government's or health system's intention. Um, uh, an employee should be very wary about using private supply of vaccines, I think, for the time being. Um, it's it's possibly not the best idea until vulnerable people have had a chance to be vaccinated. Um, and they, there's, a, there's a second area of corruption um, about the use of vaccination certificates to prove that you've been vaccinated, um, which may seem a sensible idea if you want to prove to your employer or, or, or travel abroad or whatever it might be that you've been vaccinated. But um, uh, someone was arguing on the radio this morning that actually if you have a vaccine, uh, a vaccine certificate, you're therefore entitled to go out and about. This is assuming that, of course, you can't transmit the vaccine if you've, uh, and those studies are done, um, if, if, even if you've been vaccinated. But is that going to encourage other people to break rules because they see people out there with their dangling their vaccination certificate? Um, maybe they have it branded on their forehead, I've been vaccinated, or whatever it might be. But um, you know, it, it, it is going to encourage people to drop their guard. I think um, uh, even when they haven't been vaccinated, because they're going to see life getting back to normal, and it happened this summer. Um, so I think that that's, that's another area of corruption. Sorry, going back to uh, the uh, the vaccine certificate, um, unless they are very secure in the way they're produced, 
people are going to um, manufacture their own and there'll be fraudulent use of vaccine certificates. Joe, as a legal advisor, um, I mean, I appreciate that your specialism is employment, but as a legal advisor, even in the employment sphere, um, are, are there issues of fraud or corruption that you're, you're particularly alert to in the way you're advising your clients around vaccine issues? I think there are always going to be um, the risk of shortcuts, as Debbie said, and I think that um, that is often driven by the by policy or the rhetoric coming out of the government. And if an employer of a company is is told that in order to achieve X, which might be um, return to operations as normal, then you have to make sure that uh, you can prove that X percentage of your staff are vaccinated, then that's likely to put pressure on, on, on people to try and achieve that. And I think that really the, 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 the way to avoid that pressure and therefore pressure on employees, erosion of employee rights, human rights, pressure on businesses to tick a box, if that may be the case, is, is to is to get us back to thinking about vaccines as as part of the solution, but not the entire solution. So when you are asking a community or a business uh, to to make sure that they can prove that they can operate safely, that will be, I suspect, a combination of um, vaccines used and uh, but also testing, tracing how effective they are at that uh, and whether they continue to have restrictions, which might be uh, necessary. So a combination of all of those in the next, in the short to medium term, year or or more, um, will remove that pressure. And I think that, yes, as an employment lawyer, we've seen from the use of the furlough scheme this summer that where the alternatives are very, very limited. You are likely to see pressure, um, uh, and that is that is likely to result in in fraud or a fraudulent application of um, of the system that is available. And Debbie's right; I don't see that as just acquiring vaccines through unethical routes. I think it's also data, and equally, I think that works both ways. So employers saying, producing data to to demonstrate vaccination where that might be misleading or or inaccurate. I think individuals possibly doing the same, you may well see that. Um, So there really needs to be some, some, uh, some recognition of the fact that everyone is, has a shared goal, which is to try and move us out of restrictions back towards a a normal and free, freer lifestyle, and uh, for businesses who have suffered immensely, um, to be able to get back to uh, to operating as normal, and simply mandating that too many a percentage of their staff need to be vaccine need to have a vaccine um, is probably not the right way to do that. Um, it needs to be a recognition of the combination of of all of the options available to them, but I think I think in terms of you know how to how to think about corruption, how to uh, understand it, how to report on it, you know that, there's an obligation on all of us. Again, we're all trying to do the right thing, and uh, that includes 
you know, businesses themselves uh, reporting where they suspect corruption. That's that's colleagues, that's uh, advisors, that's auditors. Um, that's understanding that we, you know, we. The reason we're trying to do this is not is not to uh, just simply say we're able to get back to normal. It is to say that we are protecting people's lives and we are keeping people safe. And I think the only way we do that is through um, is through doing things the right way through the right channels and uh, and not taking shortcuts which which place that in jeopardy. I do wonder as well if partly the solution all comes back to what Debbie said right at the beginning. Why are we rushing back to a normal? There are some ways where we need to have a new normal. Restaurants need to be open, leisure centres need to be open, gyms, uh, you know, we need to get back that sense of social cohesion for people's mental health, if literally nothing else. But for many office workers, this may be their new normal. And that may be one of the solutions, you know, We've, there has always been, I think, uh, under disability discrimination, and Joe, you can absolutely smack me around the nose if I got this wrong, um, but that right to reasonable adjustments in a job. And I suppose now I would say now what has been proved to be achievable with home working for so many office-based workers, the argument I would say about reasonable adjustments has presumably fallen away for a lot of people. Um, now it has been proved. Debbie? Did you want to come in on that quickly? Well, I, I just um, was thinking earlier, you asked about companies' responsibilities, and I think you picked on mental health there um, as one of the things you were saying, and that is absolutely the employee's responsibility to focus on mental health. Mental health of those who are stuck at home, mm. uh, particularly at the moment if they're trying to educate kids as well um, at the same time, but those who are very isolated as well. I mean, that is a mental health issue, and for some they may be comfortable, more comfortable working at home than in the office, but I think there will be a fear factor of going back to the office that companies will need to address mm. um, uh, when you've been used so long, for so many months to being at home, to actually being there with a load of other people around you, that fear of the virus still underlying, um, it, it will be a, a big issue. And, and um, so mental health and well-being should be top of the agenda alongside communication. I'd like to end on communication there, I think, because I think that it's, it's the golden thread through this and many other crises. And if people can get that right, then they're well on the way. Joe, did you want to come in on that quickly? Well, I completely agree with Debbie and, and you, Becky, when you talk about um, homeworking and progress. And so look, recovery from this is no quick fix, but recovery also means, you know, an ability to to make progress into a better environment. And yes, absolutely, the, the, the fundamentals here are care and understanding for your employees. And those that have really struggled and had very challenging times in adapting to their working environments through isolation, through having to homeschool, um, and for many other reasons, uh, millions over a million at least have lost their jobs this year. So there's, it's absolutely fundamental to, to try and not go back, but to uh, progress into um, a better way of working that works more effectively for those that, that need that flexibility and need that care and, and the most vulnerable 
to make sure that we we don't leave anyone behind as a result of this, not rushing back into um, squeezing every employee again as soon as we're able to to open a business. It's about making sure that we can we can work effectively and in a better way for the future. I love that effectively and the better way for the future. I think that's absolutely right. Thank you very much, Debbie and Joe. I think it's been just a fantastic discussion on an issue which is just bringing up so much um, complexity and difficult issues. Um, and I think that the answer, unfortunately, is not straightforward. There is no clear thing that companies should be doing, but it's going to be weighing up individual circumstances, rights, situations, and above all, talking to each other. The cross-examination. Thank you for joining us today. I'm sure that you can see by now there is no perfect answer to the question of companies and their vaccination policies. But as with many of the issues we touch on here, the first and best policy is a yet again open and honest communication. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do like and subscribe so that you can keep up with future content. The Hearing. The Cross-Examination. A legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.